everybody. Welcome back. This is Lucas, and I'm joined by Coach Brett Furlong. We just talked about our backstories and how we got into coaching. Now we're going to talk about the 2019 World Championships. Here we go. What is the preparation process like going into Cancun? I know looking at it from a selection committee perspective, it's we put together the best team that we felt at that time was great. Um, we knew kind of where we need to adjust uh, player ability and player talents and attributes and where to try and gear the team more towards um, being effective. Every player being effective in every situation. We couldn't have specialized people. Just because you got a good throw, you got to be able to get out of the way of things. So I know we looked at roster selection, um, lineups, um, that's kind of, I think, where we started. I, I want to say fortunately, but unfortunately, you were hurt. So you were coming back as a coach. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it was kind of already understood that through internal talks that we'd be on the selection committee and be coaching again. So we already kind of knew, which was a huge help. We had a full year to understand our roles going forward. We knew what we'd be getting ourselves into. We had so much more knowledge than we had before that it, I, I mean, it was, it's invaluable to have a full year to prepare for a tournament. As a coach, losses are great for motivating, you know, mm -hmm. and that silver medal really, really hurt <laughs> in a lot of ways. And it, it hurt our team. It hurt a lot of guys and it was certainly an extremely motivating experience for everyone going into that 2019 year and seeing kind of that focus and that dedication that the players were exhibiting was impressive. And so I think for us and the players kind of recognizing that we had, we had a job and this time it wasn't, it wasn't kind of the house money, like, let's see how well we do. Like this time it was, it was, you know, win, win or championship or bust. And it, it was that way the first time, but I think the second time there was kind of an added seriousness about never wanting to feel that way again. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we, uh, I, I mean, we, we, you could say, the 2018 we played my style where you show up with the best talent you don't win then you question like what the happened like it doesn't make sense we're the best um and then 2019 i think we realized like that style they'll play like you have to have a coordinated offense a structured defense um because unfortunately in the usa we don't play this style year-round where canada malaysia australia uh name the country they play this year round mostly so it's we have so much catching up to do in regards to strategy style uh execution uh film study preparation but we have so many leaps and bounds that we had to overcome that it's uh i think it, sh it really shined a light in our eyes about what we have to what we have to do so we, we took that seriously it wasn't a good feeling getting silver so yeah um, i so 2019 was my first time kind of being behind the scenes on the uh selection process uh -huh. 
And so I just wanted to mention just like how challenging that is, just that whole thing. And, and just kind of talking to other nations about how they do it, it, it really kind of opened my eyes that there is no like one tried and true method to selecting a team. But like kind of being involved with the, the combine invites, like that in and of itself is an extremely stressful process, right? And very, yes, very challenging, right? Like you're having to select your peers and exclude your peers, right? And I've had so many people ask me like, how do you get an invite to the combine? And it's, the answer is just, it's, it's the same that it will always be. It's just, you know, like play, play your off like show show us everything you got but unfortunately like in the states right now that the opportunity to show your abilities in front of the scouts is so limited right like there, yeah. especially on the west coast leading up to this year even like there was maybe like two two foam tournaments a year and everything mm -hmm. else is based off of like maybe your abilities in rubber or your abilities in nosting and so just making that initial selection was incredibly challenging. I think we can, we could touch on that a little bit later, like what, what someone looking to get an invite should kind of strive for. But what yeah. I will say is that it's super hard on everyone and, and the scouts and the coaches take it very seriously. Like it's, there's no joking around. And uh, I think we, <laughs> can we can we say that we have signed non-disclosure <laughs> contracts like it's true it's just, like the, it's very secretive it's very serious well it's it's secretive and it's not i mean we're inc incredibly transparent about um like how, getting selected and, and all that stuff but i mean it's i i think the secretive stuff is player evaluations um the the four to five to uh, four to five to six uh, people who weigh in on player evaluations is um, I mean we're, we're talking about personal stuff we're talking about how people play and it can uh, it cannot go over well if someone hears what others think of their play because everyone um, has a view of themselves and if a certain group of people don't agree with that you can be very angry about it so i mean it is uh it's a sensitive subject um i, I so think we don't, I we don't talk about yeah yeah another i think another challenge just with the setup that it currently has is having to weigh career accomplishments or or past success or past abilities demonstrated versus ability demonstrated on site at the combine right like correct yeah. like you might be a champion in so many respects but when you are in this room with the other top 40 players in the country like are you are you being successful like are you is your are your abilities putting you above them like is your experience with this ball type putting you above them and so that's like something that the decision incorporated was the challenge of weighing um, what we're seeing in front of us versus like past performance. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I was glad to be a part of it, but it was certainly a stressful um, decision.
let's talk about the training camp 2019 training camp so that was that was something that i will say when when you hear the words training camp you think oh yeah training camp yeah like you show up these things happen people work hard things are learned and experience yeah. gained but when someone <clears throat> when someone gives you a gym and they say, you've got this gym from, you know, nine to five, go have a training camp. Yeah. For two days, figure that's it out. A, that's another animal, right? Is like, how do you create that structure? What are the things that are important? How do you use this time as a team uh, efficiently? And, and for our team where we're spread out across the country and players are rarely ever getting to play together. Like how do we use every little minute of that? And at the same time, like, how do we make sure that we're not wasting our players' time or, or their bodies on things that are not important, right? Like, you know, yeah. you can only throw so much in a 48-hour span. So how do, we, how do we be respectful of throw count, but at the same time really emphasize time and the value of time? So talk, talk to those points. What, did, what, did, what were you thinking and kind of how did things play out at that training camp? Luckily, I mean, the silver medal really put a fire under people's ass. We did have a lot of returning players. Um, so it was a lot of players had something to prove, uh, some redemption to gain. Um, so as soon as the selections were made, players were already working out. They were, it was, you run every day, you go to the gym, lift weights, do something to get prep. Um, so when you look at that in a training camp view, you think we have one weekend to get this team to work together or to be, to be ready for worlds. I can't, or we can't, and the team can't get their conditioning in one weekend a month from the tournament. That's, it's something that's physically impossible. So do, I think we agreed. We can't worry about, there's no point in having these guys run laps, run suicides, do up downs. There's no point in testing their fitness level. Like, and I should say testing their fitness level, but trying to like, like, as if you had like a football training camp or a spring training to get these guys in shape, they needed to show up in shape to our training camp. So um, luckily our, our captains and the team completely bought into the fitness um, at home uh, <laughs> method. So these guys pushed themselves and encourage themselves with running every day, posting photos of them at the gym, doing workouts, um, encouraging each other. Um, that peer pressure to be ready when you show up was crazy. And it was so much better for us because when you get to the training camp, it's instead of wasting an hour of doing push-ups and running laps and all this fitness jar, all this fitness nonsense, and we could just focus on play. We could just focus on dodgeball and not fitness. Um, it made our time so much more useful that we didn't have to worry about that stuff. It was strictly getting, dodge, getting dodgeball fit um, and sharp in the head about where you need to be, what you need to be doing and stuff. Yeah. I remember that um, one of the things that I remember us talking about is how do we utilize all of the off-court time, right? Yeah. Like yeah. that, that is just as important as the on-court time. So we, we came up with on-court stuff, right? Like we came up with drills. 
They wanted to put people in super competitive situations against top talent and just see where people were at and then start adding on some of our structures and schemes in the playbook that you had developed. And, and so, so like we, that, that kind of flowed logically, but then like the other part was like, how do we bring this team together? Like as a group, right? Like, like we've been in a Facebook messenger chat for months, but like, we haven't really spent much time together. And so we kind of started scheduling in like team dinner, team, team outing, team run. Um, mm. I, I think um, one of my favorite memories from that training camp was the night that we, we were all just watching YouTube at Cody Stidham's house. And Cody deserves just a gold medal for hosting the entire team at his yeah. house. I could not believe when he offered to host 14 people. I was like, are you sure about that? <laughs> yeah, we both questioned it. We're like, what? But this, he was, he was, yeah, it worked. He was an incredible host. And we, so I think it was Saturday night. We were at Cody's house and we had YouTube on his TV and we had all these players who'd come thousands of miles to be in this room to be with each other and we're done playing dodgeball and we're like well what do we do and we we just started we started kind of passing around the remote and giving people turns at playing things on youtube and just getting to learn like a little bit about everyone based on what they're choosing to share with the team oh yeah i mean that 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 time's invaluable for bonding and um, building trust and connection between players. And I mean, everyone knows each other in that room. That's one thing, but it's like really to like hunker down and be like, yeah, I see you on the court. I play against you. I may like talk to you on the sidelines about whatever, but it's like, no, we're like, we're brothers now. We're enjoying our off time. Like we're not just hanging out at the gym. Like this is our off time when we're hanging out. So I think that is so crucial to um, just being a cohesive unit. And you look at the, you look at the most successful teams in dodgeball, it's, they're not just hanging out. They're not just meeting at dodgeball tournaments and playing. They're, um, they're friends outside of dodgeball. They, they go to each other's birthday parties. They, they, they hang out together. They do things other than dodgeball together. And that's something we needed to instill in this team. And luckily these guys are, and most of the guys were um, super um, willing just to be together and open about accepting each other's friendship. And it was, uh, it was great. It was a great time just for everyone to just not do dodgeball and just enjoy each other's company. Um. I I think the team really left left Dallas on the same page, like spiritually, yeah. right? Like people were excited about the work they were seeing other people put in on their own, training alone across the country, and it was fueling. It was fueling each other, right? Like by the end, like I was going to the gym and like running and working <laughs> out because I was so pumped. Like it was contagious, and. And I think that like that training camp was really special and, and it definitely got us kind of on the path that we needed to be on. Okay. So let's, <laughs> let's fast forward. We're, yeah. Let's, let's jump, let's jump a bit. We're in, we're in Cancun. 
We're right here. The moment we've been waiting for. We've been training for an entire year to get back to this place for the opportunity to kind of come out on top. What was what was it like when what was the tournament like? The gym, the lodging, the setup, Cancun, the beach, the beautiful beach. Uh, it, it was good. I mean, you land in Cancun. I mean, me coming from Chicago, it's cold in November. But uh, you get to Cancun, it's like 80 and humid. And uh, yeah, that's kind of nice. But um, I remember our first, we went to the right before we went for our first practice, because each team gets a practice at the gym before uh, the tournament starts. And there were all the rumors of you're playing on a table, t- a table tennis court or the only other option is carpet. And we're like, well, that, that doesn't sound dodgeball fun, but uh, let's go check it out. And we go to that practice and we see the court or what you would call a court. Um, it definitely wasn't a hardwood court. It was uh, something we figured we'd have to adjust to. And um I mean, that was our first impression of the tournament. And it was like, this is, this is going to be different than what we anticipated. So we have to make an adjustment and just be ready. Like we can't, this tournament's going to happen whether we like it or not. And uh, we just got to go for it. Yeah. I, I want to add to it that our players got there on Saturday, Sunday, I want to say. Some players got there on Saturday. Some players got there on Saturday. Opening ceremonies were on Tuesday. Practice was on Wednesday. Um, no, practice was Tuesday. It, was, it wasn't until Wednesday, I want to say, that the players actually got to throw. Like, we didn't let them throw because we, we knew from the previous year that stamina and endurance were as much part of the strategy to this whole thing as anything, yeah. right? Like, like this event is five days, six days long. And the, t- the last team healthy is the team that's going to win. And I remember noting to myself, I was like, it's only Wednesday or it's Wednesday and our guys haven't even thrown yet. But I was so glad we had made it to that point and everyone was healthy and safe. But um just kind of touching on some of the event stuff, the arena was uh, something I'll never forget. It was this <laughs> giant kind of athletic stadium um, that I think Yeah, all concrete, of, all concrete. It was concrete and like when the crowd was cheering, the echo would reverberate and like, it was incredible. And like- It was very loud, it was a loud cheer. When you were walking in and walking out, you could hear the echoes and screams of dodgeball happening from inside. Like it, it, it definitely had this almost like coliseum kind of quality to it. Like it, yeah, it felt like you were in this place where competitors were supposed to compete. Like it felt, yeah, it felt very. I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, I agree. Yeah, with that. and the uh, going just touching on the floor, I think we had a question. Someone asked us like if they if we thought the floor was a, a pro or a con for USA, Team USA. And if, if I think you and I would both agree on this, that if we had to give a pro or a con, I think the floor helped us because I, yeah. think, I think a lot of the teams we play use the floor a little bit more than we did. 
And um, so it, yeah. it, it was something that everyone had to adapt to, but I feel like it didn't, it didn't totally take us out of our, our comfort zone. And yeah, j just to, just to describe for player, for anyone listening who doesn't know the floor was um, it's like a, it was a, like a table tennis plane surface. So not the, the surface of the table tennis uh, table, but the floor that they use, it's like a rubber and it has like a texture and kind of a tread on it that um, and you, you can Google it, but uh, it was, um, you can't slide on it. It was, it was rubber. And if you tried to, you'd, you'd stick like a stake in the ground. So it, it was, it was really interesting because it had incredible traction if your foot was kind of flush, like if yeah. you were planted, but if you kind of tilted your foot, all of a sudden that traction disappeared. Or if there was any bit of moisture, you would just totally slip. So it, yeah, if it was wet, it was, really, it was slick. It was, it was extreme, drink. right? And, yeah. And I think it was something that all of the teams were very concerned about. And because of that, I think the officials allowed us to stop play if there was ever any moisture on the ground or if the tape ever yeah. And, and I mean, and, and we had recognized that it was going to be an issue. And I think a lot of teams recognized that it was, um, that they were concerned with it, but we looked at each other and we said, this is what we have to play on. So no excuses, like learn to play on this right here and right now. And we're going to get it done. We didn't worry about um, if it affected our strategy in any way, we just changed it. Like it, it is what it is. So deal with it. Um, and we just went forward. Like, I, I think after our practice, we never even spoke about the, the, the floor again. Like it was, everyone left and it was like, all right, that's what it is. Let's, we can't change it. I mean, you couldn't do anything about it. So just deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was a good show of adversity from our team. They just, no one mentioned the playing surface after our practice. They just dealt with it. Exactly. And I think it, it was something that everyone feared, right? Like they're like, oh no. A lot of, yeah. There, heard... I heard a lot of teams uh, complaining about it. So, But um, so once the dodgeball started happening, as the tournament started progressing, like one of the questions we were asked is how do you manage, how do you manage a roster or lineup changes for a long tournament like that? So Without, without kind of giving away too many secrets, Coach Brett, what would you yep, say, yep. How, how do you begin to like start thinking about how to disperse players and distribute playing time? Well, I mean, this is something we learned in LA was, I mean, we went into LA, in, into LA with uh, a rotation strategy, but um, we were basically just rotating players every match. Um, we, I mean, we realized in LA that rest is important in a five-day tournament. So we, uh, in our rotation list, we had pre-planned off days for players, uh, rotations or matches where players would sit, um, and that was – that was just kind of final that that's what players had to accept. Um, and, uh, deciding which players sat, which matches, um, was maybe based on workload where we saw them in the lineup. Um, 
amongst other things. And we put that out there. So players knew when they were playing, players knew when they were sitting, um, so they could prep their body. And when we had rest time for a player, if they set a day or they set a match, it was you take off all your gear. You take off your shoes, your knee pads, um, put on comfortable clothes, and relax. Don't throw. You could not. We had a specific mandate that you're not throwing on an off, off time or off day um, just to promote that health and recovery of the player. So um, luckily our players abided and some players were grateful for their time off. Some players wanted to play more, which is understandable um, in that type of setting. But um, we have to look out as the coaches for the best interest of the team um, and the players themselves, they can be, perform be performing at their highest level, uh, which was, we were pretty grateful for um, that everyone kind of abided by that. Everyone um, was playing their heart out. And uh, so everyone, everyone did their job can, uh, can in uh, given the rest they were given and they, they took their time off and enjoyed it immensely. But um it is tough to weigh the balances of this match. We're going to have a player play or we're going to have this person off um, and you have to manage that. And then we have uh, rotations uh, match to match. So I think one of the things that sets apart that event is just, just the endurance and the stamina required. Um, you know, like, you, you can't really hang your hat on any success or get too down about any defeat um, until it's all said and done. And every, every single minute that we had from the time we landed there to the time we left or on, until the time the tournament was over was potential to like get an edge, potential to find notice something in the team's play or notice something in our opponent's play that could um, benefit us on the court. And, and I think something for people, players and coaches to kind of be aware of is just how taxing it is to be focused for that long. Like it's just, it's incredibly stressful. And for players, for players, you know, like, we, we tried to be very upfront about rotation so guys would know days that they're on and days that they're off, right? But yeah. guys have to be ready to step in when they're needed, right? And guys are playing to kind of get in shape in their final form for that, for that championship run. And so it's kind of it's, – it's almost like the marathon of dodgeball tournaments. Like it's just – it's so long. It's so long and there's so much preparation that it's just and then at the at the end of the day like those last matches seem like they fly by right like they're so fast they're 40 minute matches but they're so there's so much pressure on every single play that um it's just like such an intense competitive experience yeah every every possession matters every offensive possession matters and every defensive stance is like make or break like it's it's crazy when you got to play three matches in a day and it's your matches are at 9 a.m 1 p.m and 4 30 and it's like keeping the team focused for that long of time and like the the ups and downs of that that stress of like all right we're we play now get up and it's like all right now you got three hours off now you got to start warming up again 
get ready, full gear, and it's then down again, and then back up, and it's um, worlds. Uh, WDBF is it's a different animal than what most players are used to, where you play round robin for like four hours and then take a break and then go into brackets. It's uh, it's, a, it's a different beast. I remember. I remember one of the first challenges that we faced when we got to Cancun was logistics, right? It's like schedule the shuttles. Yeah. And like, and like, okay, like, all right, these are the men's match times. These are the women's times. Like there's just so, it's like a, I don't know. It's just an all encompassing like competition. Like what, what are our priorities as a team? Um, what do we need to make sure that, we have um, kind of put together. Well, it's all the things you don't think about. It's um, how do we get to the venue? How do you get back from the venue? Um, You can say you have a shuttle ready, but it's the shuttle driver's got to be there. And then we were sharing a shuttle with the women's team. And then it's when do, and all of that, when are the guys eating? When are the guys um, hydrating? When are they relaxing? When are they sleeping? When are they, doing when are they just decompressing and not being fully engulfed in dodgeball um that they can be fresh for the next day it's managing everyone's time so everyone is ready to go on top of staying intense so that you're ready for when you do have to perform um i mean it's a struggle do you have any favorite moments or memories from uh, that tournament, whether it's on the court or off? Um, I mean, we love to talk about one of the issues that we faced was we're all staying at this hotel. Um, how do we get the team together for film study? So we need to find a room. The hotel would Can I? I feel like I need to set this up. I need to give you your proper due. <laughs> Coach Brett, you, you're like the sleuthiest among us. <laughs> and so I remember, Coach Brett, you go, you're like, you're hunting down a place for us to go. And so initially, we are like looking for like an auditorium or some sort of like showroom or any like open like room. A conference room, anything that would. Yeah. Be. And like, we're, Any we're, door that would open, we that could fit us, we were going to sit in. Yeah, we couldn't you, find it for the longest time. You were just on the hunt. And I, I guess I kind of gave up. And then the next day, you're like, I found something. So I'll let you take it from there. <laughs> so the hotel we were at, uh, one of the public areas was under construction. So the bathrooms that were in that public area were out of order. So the hotel was using four guest rooms um as bathrooms you could just go in and use the bathroom in that room so we uh i remember i'd go to breakfast and then go to the bathroom after breakfast and then go to one of these rooms so we would you'd walk in and it's just an empty guest room there's a bathroom there's two beds there's a tv there's everything we need um and it's not one of our rooms which is full of all of our stuff so we had um we would tell the guys meet at room 1004 or 1003, whichever room wasn't being used as a bathroom or not as a bathroom, but I mean, currently being used as a bathroom. But so we would go in, we would just walk into the room. We would just lock, we would lock the door as if someone was in there using the bathroom. 
And then we would just bring all the guys in, all 12 guys, us two coaches, 14. Sometimes the ball shaggers were in there. And we would we'd hook the TV up to a computer. We'd turn on uh, one of the matches we need to watch. We'd do our film study with the team. And we would just take over this unused room that was supposed to be a bathroom literally like every day. Yeah. I remember there was like a period of time where we were worried that if we locked the door, then like someone would go report it to the front desk. So <laughs> yeah. like, so like the first day we had the door unlocked and like people were coming in and like just the thought of like the world's most secret dodgeball strategy being unveiled. Meanwhile, like, you know, Mr. Johnson on vacation from uh, Milwaukee is like, hey, can I use the bathroom? And we're yeah, just like, just, oh, yeah, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. people would walk in and they'd like see like 14 guys in this room. Just like huddled out. in the darkness. <laughs> yeah, guys are all over beds and we're like doing a presentation on the TV. And they're like, hey, can I, is someone in the bathroom? And we're like, no, go ahead, use it. And they're in there <laughs> doing whatever they're doing. And we're discussing strategy on the TV with the, uh, videos and whatnot but that was I mean we we would use that every day before we would go to the gym or before we had to leave on the shuttle it was meeting room 1003 1004 <laughs> I remember um, I remember on the last day there was like a a church service like happening outside and we were yeah. like we were like oh no is our cover blown like can we possibly <laughs> sneak everyone in there without the church people noticing and it, it worked well, out. I think I think hotel security was like uh, going in one room before we were. I think we were waiting outside to meet, and like security was like going in one room, and we were like, I, I think our cover's blown. They're not going to let us keep using these rooms undiscovered. And uh, but I mean, we got in every meeting, and I mean that's just something you got to be resourceful. Like if you got to, I mean, we had no other way to do it other other than like just everyone barging into someone's room that they were actually staying in but this was the most practical use of our abilities or resources so one of my favorite off-court memories was uh this bus ride that we took to the grocery store and i'm <laughs> i'm as i'm as frugal as as they come and so when i got there and there was like a buffet at the hotel that was like rumored to be pretty good but it was like 25 bucks and i was just like oh i can't afford to do that for the whole week what yeah so so i was like okay we need a grocery store so we heard that there was a grocery store and that you could take the bus there and so i think a handful of us maybe five guys five or six guys uh we we took the bus down the street and everyone's like oh yeah it's just like a mile away it takes 10 minutes to get there on the bus like you'll be fine <laughs> it's like a dollar bus ride and so we kind of like we got our we got our money straight and we got all everybody on the bus and as we're on the bus like we sit down and we're like hey there's like drum and bass music playing and it like and like we're kind of we're in a new we're in a new environment we're like maybe this is normal but then the the bus driver just cranks the music and i remember <laughs> i remember vince vince marchbanks vince just starts dancing and singing he's just like oh yeah and everyone is laughing we're, we're having a ball and all of a sudden the bus starts accelerating like pedal to the metal and we're all just like okay like this guy's going pretty fast but then we are like quickly approaching a car in front of us and it like 
from everything that my life of athletics and judging moving objects <laughs> has told me, like, we are about to smash into the back of this car. And everyone on the bus gets out of their seat and is like bracing for impact. We're like, we're all just, it's like we're on a roller coaster and we're like, oh, and then at the last second, the, the bus driver just kind of rips the wheel and like, we're still accelerating at this point. We're not, there's no brakes, there's no stopping or slowing down. He just like weaves out of the way and everyone on the bus felt as if we had seen our life flash in front of our eyes. And, and uh, we- Lucas, we you have to do the music. You have to do the music. <laughs> it was like, it was just it was like he was driving to the music it was incredible but uh we we got to the grocery store we bought our groceries we made it and uh the bus ride back was peaceful and uneventful and like we were so geared up for another ride for our lives and, uh, wasn't the windshield on that bus and that bus busted too there were so many things about that bus ride i someone noticed that i think bill fisher noticed that he was sitting in a folding chair he wasn't in like a a, a seat that was attached to the floor of the car he was like kind of in a beach chair and i remember the driver had a look on his face like he was running running from someone like he was he was watching his back and uh yeah, maybe he wasn't an official bus driver. I don't know, but it was incredible. We got out of there with our lives. And the bus ride back felt much more safe and, and bus-like. And, and uh, maybe we just got the one, uh, the one lucky ride to the store that day. But um, Still chasing that high, huh? <laughs> what, what, were, what were some of your on-court memories? What were some of the things that you will, will remember from that tournament itself? Um, I mean, one of the big ones is uh, Dylan's kind of one-man show there in the third game of the gold medal match. Uh, Dylan eliminated all players. Um, we were down 0-2. It was kind of not looking great. I, I, I remember not being worried. We're like, all right, we're down 0-2 Malaysia, but we've been playing so good all week that it was just like, we'll, we'll catch fire soon. And then right off the rush, Dylan gets the kill, I believe. And I don't think we had hit any of them up until that point. It was crazy. And um, Dylan just starts hitting, 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 hitting. And I think he gets a catch for the final out. And it was like, okay. And everyone was kind of – I don't think anyone really realized Dylan got all the kills. <laughs> but it was kind of like, wow, we just won that one. All right, well, it was like, whatever. Now we're now it's 1-2. Let's, let's go to work. Yeah, I, I think that it, it was – it was certainly like a change of momentum and you know like going down o2 i remember thinking like do we need to change course like and and like the answer was not yet right it was the same one that you had just described like it was like not yet like yeah. we will catch fire there's something you know like like once you know fortune turns in our favor we're going to be okay and and that Dylan game really was kind of the momentum swing. Um, for me, one of the moments or kind of memories that I'll have from the tournament was in the Australia round robin match. It was 
it was the hardest match that we had played up to that point. It might have been the hardest match we had the whole tournament. Um, I feel like we were outplayed. Like we, we were, we ended up with the win um, with a miraculous catch from Mike McGee in his legs. Uh, I'll never forget that catch. It was phenomenal. But what I remember was midway through the second half, it was just kind of a slow, grinded out game. And Australia was executing just beautifully. And they were, they were doing what we were trying to do, but they were doing it better than us. And, and they were really controlling us. And I remember at one point in the second half where on one of our offensive plays, we hit. Maybe we hit on the rush. And then we hit on an offensive play. And then all of a sudden, it felt like the energy in the gym had just exponentially increased. Like it felt like the wind was swirling around and like the volume had just raised. There was like a tornado inside of the gym. And it this tornado was like our team like unleashing itself. And and all of a sudden the hits were contagious like it was as if there was like blood in the water and like the guys could taste it and were just going after it and we fought our way back into that match and miraculously got out of there with a win but it, I just remember that feeling of when the when the hits started coming and the energy started going up and just the sound in that gym started echoing and it just it felt like you were inside of a, like a, a jet engine. It was just incredible. It was exhilarating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, it, it's one of those things where I, I, um, our game plan was built largely around execution. Like if we can execute, we're kind of unstoppable. And uh, I don't want to say we were unstoppable, but um, the, the guys doing their jobs, filling their roles, doing what they needed to when they were asked to do it. Um, it, it just kind of, in certain instances and in certain matches, it became really hard to, uh, to stop. And, and, and I, I mean, in the, in the Malaysia match and other matches where we'd start playing that it was um, if we weren't hitting, we knew like the hits would eventually come, but it was extremely frustrating when the hits weren't there. And it was early on in certain matches. And then the hits came and we were kind of a-okay. But um, it was kind of like once we knew we could execute, we knew we could win just as many games as we wanted. But, uh, I mean, yeah, that was – it was a tense match uh, when we weren't hitting. Yeah, and it was, it was an incredible learning experience for the team, right? Because we all felt like we essentially lost that thing, right? And yeah. we, came, we came away with the result, but we felt like we lost. And so everyone was super focused to find out why did we lose? Why, how is the other team having success against us? What can we do to like clear that up and make sure it doesn't happen? And how can we take some of, those, um, some of that experience and put it in for our matchups against the upcoming matchups that we were looking forward to? Um, yeah. Do you have any other kind of favorite moments from in the tournament that uh, – Okay, so uh, yes. Do you, did you have any further memories from the tournament? 
so and we i mean our our team calls plays in the huddle and they have to go execute it and if we call a two play a tooth a two player attack um those two players are called to do it so they go and they call it in the huddle we don't know what it is on the sidelines but when the team approaches for their offensive attack Cedro throws the first ball and then he throws the second ball so essentially he he called a play that's supposed to be a two-player play for himself to be both <laughs> players now it's ridiculous but it worked he hit on both throws and what it showed us is that our playbook has a lot of um it's limit li- limitless creativity that can be uh pulled from it and Isidro <laughs> brought it out which is amazing I feel like you you mentioned something about Isidro's confidence or humility yeah Isidro is um he's incredibly humble he, he doesn't say a lot and uh he doesn't want too much accolades brought towards him but he is the most confident player I've ever seen <laughs> So it's like, it's, it's a very weird dichotomy he brings. And I think everyone and anyone who knows him enjoys that part of him. Um, he's an incredible person. <laughs> I think you, you made his day. He, he, al- he always strives to be humble. That's his, his, his goal. <laughs> he strives to be humble, but he's incredibly confident. <laughs> um, one of my favorite moments at the tournament was It was like, it was late in the tournament. We were playing against New Zealand and Drew Givenko was on the court. And Drew, shortly after nationals in September, Drew, we think, we think that Drew got hurt at elite nationals. And so when he came to training camp, we could see that something was wrong and we basically figured out that he had a shoulder injury, a significant shoulder injury. And he did everything he could to heal and rehab and to figure it out. But he just wasn't able to play at the tournament at Worlds. He wasn't able to be effective and be his usual self. And and it was it was really challenging for him. And and it was sad. Like it was sad to see you know, a player who was super excited and thrilled about this opportunity and who could contribute to the team to be kind of deactivated essentially by, by this injury. And so Drew, Drew came into matches late in the matches. Players, like in round robin matches, if the match was in hand, players could tag Drew in whenever they needed a rest. And so Drew got to play sparingly. And and when he was in there, he was being active, he was dodging, he was communicating and moving, but he couldn't, he couldn't really throw with his right hand. And there was, this, there was this match against New Zealand where he was in there and our whole team got out and it was just, it was just Drew. And, and he had to throw, there was no way for him to get out of it. And I, we were all wondering like, what is going to happen here? And Drew just started throwing as hard as he could. And his arm for the first time in months <laughs> looked, looked good. And he was, 
he was throwing with power and accuracy and he was trying to kill these guys and and i couldn't believe what i was seeing i got super emotional like just seeing this guy who was gutting it out for his team really just putting it all out and i remember after the game asking him like oh my god how does your arm feel like you were you looked incredible out there and he's he looked at me and was just like that's everything i have like i don't yeah. think i can throw <laughs> anymore like like yeah. i'm done like that's that's everything and I will I'll just remember that moment like just just everything just being injured I, w I was injured at the time and so like just kind of seeing how easily the sport can be taken away from you and and seeing like how challenging it is to contribute and be helpful and supportive as a teammate and Drew kind of made that trip and came with us all that way and made the journey and kind of fought through his injury and I don't know. I thought that was incredible. Yeah, I mean, he showed great heart and effort, and um, really supported the other the other guys on the team. Just, uh, I mean, he was an asset that that we needed, and uh, I'm lucky we had when we were there. So, um, one of my other favorite memories that I wanted to share was. Um, it was actually in the match against Canada. It was in the match against Canada. We were up and we were stalling. We're trying to, we're trying to take time off the clock. And I remember Nate. Nate was one of the last people in, and and we're telling Nate, we're like, Nate, you know, like eat as much clock as you can, hang in there. And Nate was so calm. Nate was cool, and he just stayed safe burnt burnt a ball stayed safe burnt a ball and at one point nate <laughs> nate threw a ball that hit coach vic <laughs> and bounced back to us <laughs> like i'm pretty <laughs> sure it bounced back to us like the most incredible improbable throw ever and i no one can say if nate meant to hit vic but if he did it was the most incredible throw <laughs> of all time and so the ball comes back to nate and nate what does he do next he throws the ball and he hits the shagger hits the shagger on the other side of the court and it comes back to us and we get the ball again so nate just bought us 20 seconds yeah. more of clock <laughs> and finally on the third throw he kind of throws it out of bounds like maybe maybe like maybe just like six feet out of bounds and the refs stop play and they bring it us, they bring everyone together and they say, we're going to, after discussing, they bring the coaches in and they say, we're going to bring, we're going to call a game delay penalty on Nate. And I remember telling him, I was like, what do you mean? That third throw, that was the closest one. I mean, they, and, and they looked at me and they're like, he's stalling and you know it. And I, and I, I remember cracking a smile and be like, yeah, he is. <laughs> and we'll take the warning. <laughs> yeah, we'll take the warning. I mean. So, uh, so I just, I loved, I loved that element. And I think that that just kind of, this is the first time we've kind of talked about Nate's play, but just having Nate on the team is just an extension of the coaching staff and just kind of embodying everything that we talk about behind closed doors on the court 
and being focused, being dedicated, knowing the situation, knowing the playbook, showing great leadership. Uh, it was incredible. And I think working with Nate was just such an awesome experience. And um, <laughs> that moment where he stalled <laughs> will be something that I for, forever remember. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, that's... Uh, Fortunately and unfortunately, I mean, I'm not too of too much of a fan of timed dodgeball. I like to see all the players get removed from the court. But when you're in that situation and winning is winning and there's a clock to work with or against, um, you have to do what you have to do to win. So, I mean, that's the position Nate was put in is the lone member of our team out there. And it was like five or six uh, Canadian players. And I mean, if they, if they can't hit him, um, that's, that's that. I think Nate got hit shortly thereafter, after all that noise, but, uh, um, Hey, that bought more time for us to, uh, to secure the victory. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I'm not a fan of timed dodgeball in knockout rounds, but, um, you know, you have to, you got to play the game. You got to play the game. Yeah. Um, okay, so we get to the championship match. We, this is the moment we've been waiting for. We've been preparing for this for a year. We go down 0-2. Dylan Clark Odin has this incredible game that maybe few outside of the Dylan <laughs> knew, knew. But he, like when you go back and watch, he completely put the team on his back for game number three. Yeah and change the momentum of this match. And so it seems like our, our fortune is about to change. Like the, our luck has, has switched, right? We we're starting to hit. So walk me through kind of the rest of that match from your point of view. Um, I mean, I, I mean, we basically just kept, uh, we didn't leave the plan. We kept with our game plan. Um, executing ball control, discipline, um, being patient, um, everything we talked about in our huddles, in our film study, um, it, it was just stay with it. It, it. There was We didn't look to abandon ship or rearrange deck chairs. It was uh, just, keep, just keep going with our plan, stick to it. it it's worked for us so far and uh, it's let us down two games but we've won with it so f why abandon it after two games it wasn't an issue so yeah uh, i i want to i want to kind of like touch on something you said earlier about like not freaking out i remember at game three maybe game two at the end of game two those first games were fast they hit us we yeah. missed and they're there's like there's there's kind of a stubbornness we we kind of had a stubbornness about our our, con our game plan, right, is like, we're like, if we do, if we execute, we're going to be successful. And we weren't executing up to that point. And so we were kind of gambling on ourselves. We're saying, like, if we, if we stay the course, things are going to right themselves. And I do, I do remember asking myself, like, how much longer can we stay the course before we need to, like, start taking some a different course of action right like i remember mm -hmm. like getting a little bit worried but luckily dylan like fished us out of that hole just in time like yeah. before we had to we had to really start 
trying some things out. Um, so I think at that point we went on, I think we exchanged games, but then we went on like a four game run. I think we won like four in a row. We won um, eight of the next uh, 10 after, or yeah, something like that. Or nine of the next 10, something like that. Yeah. So an incredible run. And like that energy that I described in that Australian match, like it was present in that championship match. Like, all of a sudden, like we were executing, the guys were hitting their stride and they were confident. Like, and that confidence was, was just improving everyone's abilities. And, and I think that we were just riding the confidence. We had put in all the work so that once, once things start hitting, we were feeling really good about just everything. And by, by feeling good, I mean like, minor heart attack on the sideline like not complete like fatal heart attack but um i was i was certainly like i don't think i smiled or <laughs> was sigh had a sigh of relief until like well after that match was over but but things you could feel things things were starting to connect um what do you remember from like halftime or the second half of that match I think halftime we I think we had a it was like five two maybe. Um but we were we were fairly confident. I knew we were just we were hitting our stride and uh I it just felt good. Like I felt like we act, we finally grabbed control of the of the match and it was uh it was gonna be really hard for us to lose given how we were hitting. Like our guys were finally just we were hitting on every throw. It seemed like we were just getting big hits after big hits. We were dodging really well. Um, they were, they seemed to be struggling to find us out on the court um, and we were countering well. It was, uh, I, I mean, it was kind of like everything we had were everything we had strategized for everything we had worked for everything we prepped for at the training camp was like finally paying off. The strategy was just like it was bulletproof. We couldn't get through it, um, and every little tweak we made was just working out well. We we got really lucky with everything. Every decision we made was just it was perfect. Um, yeah, I think you you said this best in that like an entire year's worth of work was put in to give us what three three four more wins than we had previously. I think we lost four to five in in los angeles we lost five three in los angeles I five three and or something like that yeah we lost by two games in los angeles we won by five in and, mexico and to put in to put in a whole year's worth of work to get you know five more wins um it's just kind of an incredible kind of thing to think about but i one of the things that I remember from that last match and also just kind of that knockout playoff run at the world championships was just the attention to detail. I think everyone was so locked in to doing the little things right. And the players on the sideline were cheering for that. Like when a middle would make commit to their dodge and get out of the way, that was something that the sideline would get up for and celebrate yeah. and cheer. And when, when our team got pumped, like that's when we started hitting, like 
and like it was that attention to detail and like seeing things on video and implementing them live and having everybody on board and so focused at doing it right it was so exciting to like play dodgeball to that level of excellence i think one of the things with our strategy uh in 2019 was a lot goes onto the mantra of do your job um our playbook was largely devised on everyone everyone's role on the court being specified. Like when you're on the court, this is what you're doing. If you have a ball in your hand, this is what you're doing. If you don't, this is what you're doing. Like there was no um, just getting on the court and playing. Like we, we tried to eliminate that question from like a player being like, oh, what, I'm not throwing, what am I doing? We answered that question in our playbook. If you're not throwing, this is what you're doing. If you don't have a ball, this is what you're doing. Just so players knew what to do and not take chances that were stupid, take chances that were unnecessary. Um, everyone had a job. When a play was called, everyone immediately knew, this is my, my job, this play is to do this. Either I'm throwing, I'm pump faking, I'm dodging, I'm doing something. Um, and that was specified. And it just took the question out of, what am I doing out here? Um, which eliminates, errors it eliminates people guessing um and sometimes making bad mistakes so um when you eliminate people not knowing what they're supposed to be doing um you put them in a position for success so and that's what our playbook tried to define was what you're supposed to be doing um and i think it worked really well in 2019 yeah i i feel like I do a lot of draft tournaments up here in Seattle and like at the end of a tournament, you are like miles ahead of where you were when you started, right? Like you, yeah. you've built this rapport, you've come up with this strategy, you've learned kind of how to coexist side by side with one another, you know, like you've learned tendencies and like going through this experience with the team USA was the tightest I've ever seen a team. Like it was, it was incredible. Like everyone had so much history and chemistry and knowledge and such a, such a common ground to work off of. And I think the playbook that you developed is a huge part of that. And, and just giving everyone that common vocabulary and the mindset and the goals in the different phases of the game and terminologies. Um, and I think just the level the attention to detail, the tightness, just the awareness and intelligence of the team was just phenomenal and, and world-class, you know, like I, I think the results show it. Well, and, and I mean, and that, that playbook, I know I, we talk about it a lot, but that is, I mean, and you just, I mean, you credited, you credited me with it, which is a lot to bestow, but um, I mean, that's a, that's a team playbook. That was, um, it's sourced from ideas from myself, from you, from Nate, from Eric Stone, our, our two captains. Um, it was, it was kind of like an open source project where it's, I'd type something and I'd say, what do you guys think? And one of you would say, yeah, that's great. Or let's change this to this. And it was like, all right, yeah, that makes sense. And we talk about it and it was a really collaborative, I, I may have typed it, but it was, um, truly the ideas of multiple people and the strategies of multiple people that 
brought that together. And then we were lucky enough to field test that with guys going to tournaments or practices and be like, Hey, we ran this play. Oh, this play is money, money, money. Every day it works. We're like, great. Thanks. We know, we know it works in this setting. So let's see if it'll, it'll apply at worlds. But, um, uh, I, I mean, I think we all realized that uh, having everyone on the same page was the thing that was missing from in 2018. A lot of players went out on their own, um, uh, went off on their own tangent at certain times. And you're like, why would we do that? And it's like, that didn't make sense. Why? Because they didn't know what they were supposed to be doing in that instance. So let's answer the question for them in 2019 and eliminate those issues. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, <laughs> I I want to tell everyone about how like two weeks after the tournament, I opened my Google Drive and it says, Brett Furlong has removed your abilities to see the playbook. And I'm just like, a part of me was like, hey, what the And then the other part of me was yes, like, you can see it. Yeah, Brett. Yeah, protect the, protect the playbook. I loved it. <laughs> okay, we've been preparing for a year and we Finally, we get to that matchup. We overcome the initial kind of setback of the early deficit. We turn the corner. We start executing. We win eight of eight of nine or nine of ten. And we did it. It's over. They blow the final whistle. You've won the world championships. What is going through your head? How are you feeling at this point? It's relief. It's I'm a very weird individual where um, winning dodgeball tournaments isn't gratifying to me. That sounds stupid, but it's relief more than anything. We prepared so hard. We um, did everything that we could to win that it was like, good, we did it. Why? Because we tried and we worked and it wasn't like it's, it's like when you get a paycheck at the end of the week, it's like, yeah, I did all this work. I deserve to be paid for it. Um, I don't get overjoyed when I get a paycheck. It's, I did the work, so I should expect to get paid out for it. Um, and the same thing when you lose and you do all the work, it's like you did all the work and you didn't get paid for it. So, um, I know, I, I mean, I'm weird that way where, victory is expected in certain dodgeball scenarios so i i was more relieved than anything i know a lot of players are really joyed and i'm super happy for them they deserve it um, but my mind is wired that we i expected to win gold and we did so i was just relieved that we did it more than excited yeah I think, you? <laughs> your your use of the word relief was uh something that i didn't I wouldn't have used that word, but that's definitely the most appropriate <laughs> explanation on how I felt. Um, I just, I, rem I think I felt this way both in Los Angeles in 2018, but as well in 19, like once it was over, just kind of just almost this just huge release of, of just tension. I think leading up to that final game, every moment of every day is like opportunity to work and prepare and, and get the team stronger and get an edge and it's probably an unhealthy <laughs> mindset. Um, but like once that final whistle blows, 
you just have to come to peace with the result. And the first year, that result was hard to stomach because we finished on a loss. We fell up short. But this year, just to know that everything, all the work we put in paid off and just to see our team grow and execute on another level and really push, push it beyond where kind of I had even envisioned was just so satisfying. And I remember, I remember going out that night and just, I felt so free and just so relaxed and just drifting around smiling and just not having a care in the world or thinking about anything else. Um, finally not having to worry about like what was, what was coming next or what opponent we had around the corner or like finally knowing that like, it's okay to relax and just- Oh yeah, I mean, to not have to worry about film study or um, just game preparation and schedule and get to the shuttle and, um, and I mean, I think it's, I, I, I mean, I, I know a lot of people hear us saying like all the work we put in and you say like, well, what's the work you put in? And it's, it's literally film study, dodgeball philosophizing. Like you have to, we're watching dodgeball constantly, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work, wondering why they work, wondering why they don't, why these things don't work. And then putting together a system and a strategy that takes all that into account. And it's easy to say like, oh, throw a ball here, that gets a kill. You do that every time. It's more than that. You have to think about, this is how we're gonna present ourselves at these, in these rounds. How is, it, how is another team gonna look at us and be like, this is how we're gonna beat that strategy they're doing. And then how do you foolproof it so you don't get beat with the system you're using? And it's a constant like shuffling the deck of, will this work even if they know what we're doing? And you have to build on that system of, I would give them our playbook. I would tell them right before we're gonna do it, hey, we're, doing, we're throwing it A, B, C, and D. And or we're throwing two balls at A and we're going to double. And then after that, we're going to triple C and all this stuff. You have to let you, I mean, us thinking, sitting here thinking about it in context, not unlike this, will this work? And you don't know. You don't know until you get there. Um, but you do have game film and we sit there and watch and we pull clips and we say, hey, watch this. This worked. Watch how this works. And this, this is why this works. And this is why this can't be stopped. And we sit here and we discuss it. And if you're not, if you're in dodgeball and you're not doing these things right now, you're behind in the game, especially <laughs> internationally. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you're putting in the work and the work paid off and satisfaction is finally setting in. And yeah. what's, the, what's, the, what's the first thing you did to relax after winning? took a freaking drink <laughs> and I, I relaxed. I probably ate some nachos somewhere. And then we, I remember we, that's the crazy thing. Didn't we have to, we didn't leave the, the venue till late. Wasn't that yeah, right? Yeah. Like we, let, we were the winning team and we left <laughs> the venue. The, we were the last people to leave for many reasons, but it's because our shuttle wasn't there. 
and we get back we have to sh shower and change up and then we all go to the the after party which is just it, i mean it's a dodgeball after party so it's a bunch of drunk people but it's um it was just like all right well that was that let's now go hey. enjoy in mexico sort of so you touched on something that reminded me of one of my favorite experiences and it was just riding riding in that shuttle with the team to and from the venue and yeah and there wasn't enough room for everybody so there was always someone who had to find their own ride home but <laughs> but um it was, it was a 12 seat van and there were 14 of them <laughs> and and we had to transport the shaggers which were another three people so it was yeah it was a party it was fun we were all crammed in there and i loved <laughs> I loved it. By the end of the week, we were so weary and beaten down that we were just, we were singing on the bus together. We were singing songs. We had the windows down. We were singing, we were singing Daylight Come and You Wanna Go Home. home. Yeah. I just, I'll never forget that song. Like, I'll, just what an incredible memory rolling back into the hotel, singing that song at the top of our lungs. And I think we played it that night after winning and just, just how sweet it felt just to sing and just joyously. It was just well, cause we would, because we would roll through like the, the, the Cancun like hot spot of like where all the restaurants and bars were and all the lights were. And we had like our windows open and our music's just blaring as loud as it can be in that van. And it was just, it was just like a chill ride. Like, yeah, we just won and we're just cruising on home. Like that's, it just felt good. Like the warm air and humid air and. Yeah, yeah. The, the van ride was kind of a nice mental, mental barrier, right? Like the ride there took on a very serious tone. And like, if you weren't in the mindset, by the time you left the shuttle, you were in the mindset. And on the way home, it kind of provided that space to kind of unwrap some of what had happened and the emotions and the interactions. And uh, yeah, I thought this, the shuttle ride was special. I loved it. Well, to touch on the shuttle ride, we should mention the very first time we got in the shuttle to go to our practice. So we get in the shuttle, everyone piles in. This is when we're first realizing that it's a 12 person van meant to carry 14. So we all pile in. And then we're driving down in Cancun. It's kind of like a ring road. It's a road that kind of drives around this big, um, what is it, like a lake uh, near the hotel district. Um, mm -hmm. So one side is a hotel district. The other side is uh, kind of like local Cancun. So we go around, but it's a two-lane road all around. One lane is under construction. It's like down to like dirt and rocks. And... We're, the first time we're in the shuttle, the driver, there's like a backup in the paved lane. For some reason, he thinks it's smart to veer off and he drives down this other lane that soon becomes dirt and rocks. And it's like a 12 inch drop the first time we enter into this territory. So we're all like, what the going on? Like, this is not what we signed up for. And we're like driving down this clearly not meant to be driven down part of the road. We end up like bottoming out again when we're trying to exit this part of the road. I mean, this was another instance of like, we're all going to freaking die on this, in this small ass van carrying 14 of us. Um, luckily we all made it alive. And, but yeah, that's another, I mean, you hate to say it, but that's a bonding moment. We all, we all 
experienced that. We all took something away from that. Um, and we knew we were together doing it. So, um, I, <laughs> I remember the day after the championship match, Bill, Bill Fisher, Xander, and I all shared a room and I remember it was like the first time we were able to like go down to the beach and just take in the beauty of Cancun. Like I had been on the beach like a couple times throughout the week, but most of them, the first time it was like before dawn, like I woke up before dawn because we, were, we had to leave the hotel so early. We went to the beach, we did like a quick workout on the beach. Um, but it wasn't until like the last day that I got to like jump into the water, float in the water and just enjoy it. And it's funny when you tell someone that you're going to Cancun for a week and, and they have a kind of a preconceived notion of what relaxing in Cancun is like. And uh, your, your actual experience is just so full of stress and tension and work and sleep deprivation and time inside of a concrete cathedral. Um, yeah. But it, it definitely made that, it made the time on the beach that much sweeter at the end. I remember, I think it was after day one, we came back to the hotel and I was like, I got half an hour before, I think you and I had scheduled a film study or somewhere I had to be for a meeting, either film study or a strategy session somewhere. I was like, I had half an hour. I ran back to my room, put my trunks on, ran down to the pool. I sat in the pool for 20 minutes, cooled <laughs> off, ran back upstairs, put clothes on, like dried off, put clothes on, and then land to whatever room we were meeting in to do like a strategy session, to do a film yeah. session. Yeah. Um, just to keep the timeline moving. I mean, it was kind of like you're in paradise, but you're working and it sucked. But we had put in so much work already. Like you got to keep grinding, kind of got to keep learning and adjusting. Um, is what we realized. So. Do, do your job. And our, our job was to keep, job. Yeah. keep going. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I want to I want to add one one more thing to just kind of the experience of going to the World Championships is it's an incredible it's an incredible responsibility I think for everyone involved right mm -hmm. the host the host nation the host organization they're they're putting on this event it's so much such a huge logistical and financial um, commitment. Um, the players, the teams from all their respective nations, they're representing thousands upon thousands of dodgeballers and, and their local communities. And they have people back home rooting for them. And I think just being, being a part of that event and experience is, it's an incredible honor to be a part of it. And it's an incredible responsibility and to represent all the people that have supported you to get here and um, I think coming away with the gold this year just felt extra special because I felt like we all of the players and all of the coaches and all the shaggers and the women's team and everyone supporting supporting us the fans like I felt like we've we represented we represented well and we we, we did it for everyone back home. And uh, 
And that being said, I think dodgeball is still an up and coming sport and getting to meet players and coaches and personnel from around the world who also love this game that we love was an incredible opportunity and getting to share stories and make connections and and build relationships that um, are going to last and are also going to support each other and support the growth of this game. I think that tournament is just, it's a big deal. And, and being a part of it is a big deal. And some, some, <laughs> some people don't know like how much pressure we put on our players to represent. Like, it's just, it's a lot of pressure and, and, uh, yeah, anyways, coming out of that tournament, I just, it felt extra sweet being able to represent the right way. I, no, I, I mean, I want to echo a lot of that is that um, people think it's just another tournament, which if you haven't been there, you don't know. And it's incredibly um, understanding to not know. But uh, Worlds is, it's a different animal. It's a five-day tournament. It's teams who have put, like we've talked about, you put a year of work into preparing for. Um, it's not you show up the day of and you just play. Um, there's years of coordinate. I mean, there's a year of coordination, roster building. Um, you're thinking of everything that can go wrong and how to fix it. There's um, preparing for opponents, watching dodgeball, trying to dissect it to its deepest parts and. Um, and all of that, you're representing your country. You're representing other members of the organization. You're representing um, your family, um, your citizens of your country. It's um, it's a lot more than just showing up and playing. And people need to realize that when they criticize players, um, when they talk about players um, on how they perform or um, or what it means to be on this team, that uh, um, everyone works extremely hard from, from shaggers up to the president, uh, through coaches, players, um, marketing, uh, any content creators, uh, design the, the people who design the jerseys, everything matters and everyone is working towards a goal. And you can't tell me everyone on your local team is doing that. Like you can't tell me everyone's doing that. That's how important this is. That's how hard it is. Um, so if you think USA dodgeball is easy playing on it, coaching on it, just being part of an organization, um, it's a lot harder than you think it is to get everyone coordinated uh, and in the right direction. Um, let's, let's take a quick break and then come back and answer some questions. Join us next time for part three as Brett and I ask each other some big questions about coaching and about dodgeball. And we're going to answer questions from you, uh, the fans. 